0: Chapter Two of the Old Coast Road from Boston to Plymouth by Agnes Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Milton and the Blue Hills. Milton, a town of dignity and distinction, a town of enterprise and character. Ever since the first water power mill in this country, the first powder mill in this country, the first chocolate mill in this country, and thus through a whole line of first things the first violoncello, the first pianoforte, the first artificial spring leg, the first railroad to see the light of day saw it in this grand old town. The name of Milton has been synonymous with initiative and men and women of character. Few people today think of Milton in terms of industrial repute, but rather as a place of estates, too aristocratic to be fashionable, of historic homes, and of charming walks and drives and views. Many of the old families who have given the town its prestige still live in their ancestral manors, and many of the families who have moved there in recent years are of such a sort as will heighten the fame of the famous town. As the stranger passes through Milton, he is captivated by glimpses of ancient homesteads, settling behind their white colonial fences, topped with white colonial urns, half hidden by their antique trees, with an air of comfortable ease of new houses elegant and yet informal of cottages with low roofs of well-bred children playing on the wide green lawns under the supervision of white uniformed nurses of old hedges old walls old trees new roads old drives new gardens and old gardens everything well placed well tended everything presenting that indescribable atmosphere of well-established prosperity that scorns show of breeding that neither parades nor conceals its quality yes this is milton this is modern milton boston society receives some of its most prominent contributions from this patrician source but modern milton is something more than this as old milton was something more than this for milton from this day of its birth and countless centuries before its birth as a town has lived under the lofty domination of the blue hills, that range of diaphanous yet intense blue that swims forever against the sky, that marches forever around the horizon. The rounded summits of the blue hills, to which the eye is irresistibly attracted before entering the town which principally claims them, are the worn-down stumps of ancient mountains, and although so leveled by the process of the ages, they are still the highest land near the coast, from Maine to Mexico these eighteen or twenty sky crests form the southern boundary of the so-called boston basin and are the most prominent feature of the southern coast from them the massachusetts tribe about the bay derived its name signifying near the great hills which name was changed by the english to massachusetts and applied to both bay and colony although its indian name has been taken from this lovely range the loveliness remains all the surrounding country shimmers under the mysterious bloom of these heights so vast that everything else is dwarfed beside them and yet so curiously airy that they seem to perpetually ripple against the sky the great blue hill especially the one which bears an observatory on its summit swims above one's head it seems to have a singular way of moving from point to point as one motors and although one may be forced to admit that this may be due more to the winding roads than to the elusiveness of the hill, still the buoyant effect is the same. Ruskin declares somewhere, with his quaint and characteristic mixture of positiveness and idealism, that inhabitants of granite countries have a force of healthiness of character about them that clearly distinguishes them from the inhabitants of less pure districts. Perhaps he was right, for surely here, where the succeeding generations have all lived in the atmosphere of the marching Blue Hill, each has through its own fair name done honor to the fair names which have preceded it. One of the very first to be attracted by the lofty and yet lovely appeal of this region was Governor Thomas Hutchinson, the last of the royal governors Massachusetts was to know. It was about the middle of the 18th century that this gentleman, of whom John Adams wrote, He had been admired, revered, and almost adored, chose as the spot for his house the height above the Neponset River. If we follow the old country highway to the top of Unquity, now Milton Hill, we will find the place he chose, although the house he built has gone and another stands in its place. Fairly near the road it overlooked a rolling green meadow, a meadow which, by the gift of John Murray Forbes, will always be kept open with a flat green marsh at its feet, and the wide, flat twist of the Neponset River winding through it, for all the world like a decorative panel, by Pave de Chauvet. One can see a bit of the North Shore and Boston Harbor from here. This is the view that the governor so admired, and tradition tells us that when he was forced to return to England, he walked on foot down the hill, shaking hands with his neighbors, Patriot and Tory alike, with tears in his eyes, as he left behind him the garden and the trees he had planted and the house where he had so happily lived although the view from the front of the house is exquisite the view from the back holds even more intimate attraction here is the old old garden and although the ephemeral blossoms of the present springtime shine brightly forth the box full twenty feet high speaks of another epoch foxgloves lean against the pleached alley and roses clamour on a wall that doubtless bore the weight of their first progenitors. Another governor who chose to live in Milton was Jonathan Belcher, but one fancies it was the grandness rather than the sweetness of the scene which attracted this rather spectacular person. The Belcher house still exists, as does the portrait of its master, in his wig and velvet coat and waistcoat, trimmed with richest gold lace at the neck and wrist, Small cloths and gold knee and shoe buckles complete the picture of one who, when his mansion was planned, insisted upon an avenue fifty feet wide and so nicely graded that visitors on entering from the street might see the gleam of his gold knee buckles as he stood on the distant porch. The avenue, however, was never completed, as Belcher was appointed governor of and transferred to New Jersey shortly after two other men of note who since the days of our years are but threescore and ten chose that their days without number should be spent in the town they loved were wendell phillips and rimmer the sculptor who are both buried at milton not only notable personages but notable events have been engendered under the shadow of these hills the suffolk resolves which were the prelude of the declaration of independence were adopted at the vaux house Which still stands, square and unadorned, easy of access from the sidewalk, as is suitable for a home of democracy. The first piano ever made in this country received its conception and was brought to fulfillment at the Crehor House, which, although still sagging a bit, is by no means out of commission. And Wilde's Tavern, where formed the public opinion in a day when the forming of public opinion was of preeminent importance still retains in its broad, hospitable lines some shred of its ancient charm. Milton is full of history, from the revolutionary days when the cannonading at Bunker Hill shook the foundations of the houses, but not the nerves of the Milton ladies, down to the year 1919, when the fourth liberty loan of $2,955,250 was subscribed from a population of 9,000, All the various vicissitudes of peace and war have been sustained on the high level that one might expect from men and women nobly nurtured by the strength of the hills. How much of its success Milton attributes to its location, for one joins, indeed, a distinguished fellowship when one builds upon a hill, or on several hills, as Roman as well as Bostonian history testifies, can only be guessed by its tribute in the form of the Blue Hills Reservation this state recreation park and forest reserve of about four thousand acres a labyrinth of idyllic footpaths and leafy trails of twisted drives and walks that open out upon superb vistas is now the property of the people of massachusetts the granite quarry man far more interested in the value of the stone that underlay the wooded slopes than in ruskin's theory of its purifying effect upon the inhabitants had already obtained a footing here when, under the able leadership of Charles Francis Adams, the whole region was taken over by the state in 1894. As you pass through the reservation, and if you are taking even the most cursory glimpse of Milton, you must include some portion of this park. You will pass the open space where, in the early days, when Milton country life was modeled upon English country life more closely than now, Malcolm Forbes raced upon his private track the horses he himself had bred. The race-track with its judges' stands is still there, but there are no more horse-races, although the Forbes family still holds a conspicuous place in all the social as well as philanthropic enterprises of the countryside. You may see too a solitary figure with a scientist's stoop, or a tutor with a group of boys, making a first-hand study of a region which is full of interest to the geologist." circling thus around the base of the great blue hill and irresistibly drawn closer and closer to it as by a magnet one is impelled to make the ascent to the top an easy ascent with its destination clearly marked by the roch meteorological observatory erected in eighteen eighty four by the late a lawrence roch of milton who bequeathed funds for its maintenance it is now connected with harvard university Once at the top the eye is overwhelmed by a circuit of more than a hundred and fifty miles. It is almost too immense at first, almost as barren as an empty expanse of rolling green sea, but as the eye grows accustomed to the stretching distances, objects both near and far begin to appear, and soon, if the day is clear, buildings may be identified in more than one hundred and twenty-five villages. We are 635 feet above the sea on the highest coastland from Argumenticus, near York, Maine, to the Rio Grande, and the panorama thus unrolled is truly magnificent. Facing northerly we can easily distinguish Cambridge, Somerville, and Malden, and far beyond the hills of Andover and Georgetown. A little to the east, Boston, with its gilded dome, then the harbor with its islands, headlands, and fortifications. Beyond that are the distinctly visible points of the North Shore, as far as Eastern Point Lighthouse in Gloucester. Forty miles to the northeast appear the twin lighthouses on Thatcher's Island, seeming from here to be standing not on the land but out in the ocean. Nearer and more distinct is Boston Light, a sentinel to the entrance to the harbor, while beyond it stretches Massachusetts Bay. Turning nearly east, the eye, passing over Chickataubit Hill, three miles off and second in height of the Blue Hills, follows the beautiful curve of Nantasket Beach and the pointing finger of Minot's Light. Facing nearly south, the long ridge of Manomet Hill in Plymouth, thirty-three miles away, stands clear against the sky, while twenty-six miles away, in Duxbury, one sees the Miles Standish Monument. Directly south rises the smoke from the city of Fall River, to the westerly Woonsocket, and continuing to the west Mount Wachusett in Princeton. Far to the right of Wachusett, nearly over the dome of the Dedham Courthouse, rounds up Wytatak and Ashburnham, and northwest a dozen peaks of southern New Hampshire. At the right of Wytatak, and far beyond it, is the Grand Monadnock in Jaffrey. 3,170 feet above the sea and and 67.5 miles away. On the right of Grand Monadnock is a group of nearer summits, Mount Kidder, exactly northwest, Spofford and Temple Mountains. Then appears the remarkable Pack Monadnock near Peterborough with its two equal summits. The next group to the right is in Lindeborough. At the right of Lindeborough and nearly over the Reedville railroad stations, is Joe English Hill, and, to complete the round, nearly north-northwest are the summits of the Uncatonic Mountains, fifty-nine miles away. This, then, is the great blue hill of Milton. Those who are familiar with the state of Massachusetts and New England can stand here and pick out a hundred distinguishing landmarks, and those who have never been here before may find an unparalleled opportunity to see the whole region at one sweep of the eye from the point of view of topography the summit of great blue hill is the place to reach but for the sense of mysterious beauty for snatches of pictures one will never forget the little vistas which open on the upward or the downward trail framed by hanging boughs or encircled by a half frame of stone and hillside these are perhaps more lovely the hill itself seen from a distance floating lightly like a vast blue ball against the vaster sky is dreamily suggestive in a way which the actual view, superb as it is, is not. One remembers Stevenson's observation that sometimes to travel hopefully is better than to arrive. So let us come down, for, after all, love is of the valley, down again to the old town of Milton. We have not half begun to wander over it, not half begun to hear the pleasant stories it has to tell. When one is as old as this— for Milton was discovered by a band from Plymouth who came up the Neponset River in 1621, one has many tales to tell. Of all the towns along the South Shore, there are few whose feet are so firmly implanted in the economic history of the past and present as is Milton. That peculiar odor of sweetness, which drifts to us with a turn of the wind, comes from a chocolate mill whose trademark of a neat handed maid with her little tray is known all over the civilized world. And those mills stand upon the site of the first grist mill in New England to be run by water power. This was in 1634, and one likes to picture the sturdy colonists trailing into town, their packs upon their backs, like children in kindergarten games, to have their grain ground. Israel Stoughton was the name of the man who established this first mill, a name perpetuated by the nearby town of Stoughton. All ground is historic ground in Milton. That rollicking group of schoolboys yonder belongs to an academy, which, handsome and flourishing as it is today, was founded as long ago as 1787. That seems long ago, but there was a school in Milton before that, a school held in the first meeting-house nothing is left of this quaint structure but a small bronze bas relief set against a stone wall near its original site this early church and early school was a log cabin with a thatched roof and latticed windows if one may believe the relief but men of brains and character were taught there lessons which stood them in the colony in good stead one fancies the students roving eyes may have occasionally strayed down the indian trail directly opposite the old site, a trail which, although now attained to the proud rank of a lane, Churchill's Lane, still invites one down its tangled green way along the grey stone wall. Yes, every step of ground has its tradition here. Yonder railroad track marks the spot where the very first tie in the country was laid, and laid for no less significant purpose than to facilitate the carrying of granite blocks for Bunker Hill Monument from the quarry to the harbor. Granite from the hills, the hills which swim forever against the sky and march forever against the distant horizon. Again, we are drawn back to the irresistible magnet of those mighty monitors. Yes, wherever one goes in Milton, either on foot today or back through the chapters of three centuries ago, the Blue Hills dominate every event and the Great Blue Hill floats above them all. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help, chants the psalmist. Ah, well, no one can say it better than that, except the hills themselves, which with a gentle majesty look down affectionately upon the town at their feet. End of chapter 2